from the Lord. And uh, I'm reminded of the experience of the Apostle Paul when he helped start this Philippian church. He was in jail when the Philippian jailer was saved. Remember that story? At midnight, what was he doing? Was he moaning? Was he complaining? He was seeing, he was worshiping God, praising God in the middle of at midnight. And the Philippian jailer was so touched by that witness, he gave his heart to Christ. You see, we rejoice in the Lord, not in our circumstances. It's an act of faith. Now, what can we rejoice about? Well, first of all, you can rejoice that through Jesus Christ you're saved. You're going to heaven, you're not going to hell. That's something to rejoice in. Amen? I mean, I mean, think about that. Jesus came to this earth, died for our sins, raised the third day, conquering the power of sin, Satan, and death. All those who put their faith in Christ are saved for eternity. Isn't that wonderful, glorious salvation by grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. Isn't that something to celebrate today? Amen? Also, we can rejoice in his sovereign work in our lives. And he's working all things together for our good. Romans 8, 20, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So you're saved. God's working all things together for your good. That's something to rejoice in, isn't it? Amen? Hey, look what it says. Turn with me in your Bibles over to uh, James. Don't lose your place there in Philippians. But in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. I'm reading from uh, the New King James today. <clears throat> Verse 2, my brethren, count it all. What? Count all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing your faith produces patience or perseverance. And he goes on to say in verse 4, let patience or perseverance have its perfect work. You may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. So he says that when you face trials, you can choose to rejoice and not give in to defeat and despair. Because God's going to use those circumstances to develop you and ability to persevere. And through that perseverance, it develops your character. You mature and become more and more like Christ all the time. So choose to rejoice in the Lord. It says in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Secondly, not only do we rejoice, choose to rejoice in the Lord, but secondly, choose to practice gentleness in the Lord. Notice what he says in the next verse, verse 5, back in Philippians chapter 4. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, now this word translated gentleness, sometimes it's translated moderation or forbearance, patience. And he says you're to be gentle toward all men. In other words, it's a, it's a relational statement. See, what happens a lot of times, we don't have joy because we let people steal us of our joy, rob us of our contentment. You can't allow people to push your buttons and, and pull your strings. The idea here is you, have, you show self-restraint and self-control the Holy, Holy, the Holy Spirit can help you practice. It's a matter of being gentle and not re being reactive. A lot of people are ruled by how other people treat them all the time. They have no joy because they're letting other people's opinions, what people say to them, rob them of that joy and contentment that only can come through faith in Christ. So he says, let, sh he says, let your gentleness be known, verse 4, let your gentleness be known to all men, the Lord is at hand. Now that can be understood a couple of ways. Sometimes some Bibles will say the Lord is near. In other words, when you face struggles in life, particularly in relationships with other people, you can choose to let them rob you of your joy and contentment, or you can choose to give in to Christ, let him give you that joy and that strength to persevere and not let it take away your joy. But notice that it's the Lord is near. That can mean that the return of Christ could be at any time. Right? Jesus could come back today for us. 
Now, we're told in 1 John 2.20 that we should abide in Christ so that we will not be ashamed at his appearing. So we're saved by grace, but we will be judged and, and rewarded according to our, our quality of Christian living. So someday when Christ comes back, we're going to stand before it and be accountable to Christ at the judgment. It's not going to be a time of condemnation, but it will be a time of accountability. So when Christ comes back, don't you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, amen? Don't you want to know that he's been pleased with how you've managed your life and how you've lived your life in such a way that he's honored by all that you say and do? So he says, be gentle toward all people because the Lord's near. His coming is near. Another way to understand is that he's always present. Another way to understand is that the Lord is a hand that he's ever present. No matter where you go, he's with you, right? You can never escape his presence. Nothing ever goes beyond his attention. In fact, what if you could visibly see Christ walking with you wherever you go? Would that impact how you live your life? How you treat people, what you would say to people, would that affect you how you live your life? Well, he is with you, even though you can't see him physically. He's there with you no matter where you go. So, practice gentleness in your relationships with all people because the Lord is near. He's wherever you go, he's there with you. Live a life that's pleasing him and it will honor him and you'll be not ashamed before him at his coming. Then thirdly, so, so far, notice what we've said. Number one, choose to rejoice in the Lord. Secondly, choose to practice gentleness in the Lord. Thirdly, choose to pray to the Lord rather than worry. Notice again what he says in verse 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. Let's stop there. Some Bibles will say don't worry about anything. Now in the Greek word, the original word they're translated anxious or worry carries the idea of being divided, torn from within. The idea is that that you, can, you have no integration, you have no unity in your life because you're torn apart by this worry, this fearfulness, this anxiety that grips you every single day. But there's a difference between being concerned and being anxious. If your child gets cancer, you're naturally going to be concerned, right? <coughs> or if there's someone that you, uh, uh, have, you love that's been in the car and says you're going to be concerned. So there's a difference between being concerned and being anxious or worried. To be worried is to be fretting all the time, to be so filled with anxiety and worry that you have no joy, you have no peace in the Lord. In fact, Jesus said, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew six twenty-seven, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Does worry ever change anything at all? It only makes it worse. It robs you of anything that God would want to accomplish in your life. So, what should, what, rather than worry, what should we do? Well, first of all, it says, let's pray. Now, the word translated prayer there, that's what it says in verse 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. That, goes be, that, that means to enter into God's presence in the spirit of worship. That's the, the gener, it's, a, it's a broader general meaning for the word prayer. So first of all, you enter into God's presence in the spirit of worship and prayer, adoring him, delighting in his goodness. It takes away a lot of worry when you just focus on the greatness and goodness of God, doesn't it? We need to get our eyes off our troubles and look at God, His goodness, how much He loves us, what He's done for us through Christ. It helps you overcome that struggle with worry. It also uses the word supplication. But in everything by prayer and supplication, that means lifting up your needs, your, your sincere request to the Lord. It says in Hebrews 4.16, that with boldness we can come before the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. Isn't it good to know that God cares about your needs? He wants you to bring your needs to him in, in faith and let, leave, leave your burdens with the Lord. There's no gospel. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Amen? So 
more than specific earnest requests for God's help is sharing. This, this goes around just sort of broad requests, but more specific requests as you go to the Lord in prayer. I, uh, I remember visiting a man in the hospital years ago who had cancer. He said he never prayed for himself. He thought it was selfish to ever lift your own needs up. Till he said he prayed for other people, but he never prayed for himself. I said, where did you get that idea? We can go to God with our needs. In fact, tossed even in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, lifting up our needs to him, that he meet our needs, provide for our needs each and every single day. So rather than worry, go to the Lord in the spirit of worship and focus on his goodness and his greatness, lift up your needs to him. And then he says, do it with thanksgiving. Let your request be known. With, well, it's, but in everything by principle, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, with thanksgiving, I think the most miserable people I ever meet in my life are people who are bitter and ungrateful. Ungrateful, bitter people have no joy, no contentment, and peace in life whatsoever. Always complaining, always griping. Wonderful advertisement for the gospel. Here's my professor's faith in Christ. Got a grumpy look on their face, all the time griping and complaining. Doesn't that, you mean? What does that motivate you? Want to know Jesus? Want to follow Christ and see some grumpy Christian complaining all the time? I read of a pastor by the name of Don Baker who struggled with deep depression. Went through a period, he had trouble with some chemical imbalance in his, his brain and affected his walk with God somewhat. He was placed in the hospital in the psychiatric, psychiatric ward. He said the way he came out of his depression was practicing the therapy of thanksgiving. Thanking God, being grateful for what he had in the Lord Jesus Christ. How grateful are you? Do you live with an attitude of gratitude every day? Or are you constantly griping and complaining about life? No wonder you don't have any contentment. No wonder you don't have any joy. Here I was on vacation one time in Florida and I was walking along the beach and I was getting away for some time of spiritual renewal and smoke along the beach. I was prompted by the Holy Spirit to begin to thank God for every blessing I could think of. Everything that I was grateful for. I began, began to count my blessings. Remember the old gospel song, count your blessings, name them one by one. That's what I was doing is walk along that beach. It was a long walk as I started thinking of all those blessings God had given me. As I did that, God refreshed me, renewed me in a beautiful way. I was ready to go back and get in, back in the ministry and pe- keep on preaching the gospel. How powerful it is to be grateful. Notice what happens when you do that. Notice again back in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. That's all the things you deal with in life. By prayer, going in the presence of God with supplication, lifting up prayer request, do with thanksgiving. And what happens? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now there's a difference between peace with God and the peace of God. Get a drink here. Peace with God has to do with your relationship with God. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, some amazing things happen. Number one, when you trust Christ as Lord and Savior, you're reconciled to God. Isn't that good to know? You're restored to a right relationship with your Creator. You've been estranged and separated from God because of your sin. When you accept what Christ did for you on the cross, put your faith and trust in Him, you're reconciled. You're put in a right relationship with God. Secondly, you're justified. Be justified means you're in right standing with God legally. You're no longer under condemnation, but you've been declared righteous in Christ Jesus before a holy God. Isn't that something glorious to celebrate today? Amen. 
That's peace with God. But the peace of God isn't just about being reconciled and justified. It's experiencing the serenity that only God can give into the human heart and soul. It's the shalom of God, that Hebrew word shalom, a total sense of well-being that only God can give. It's a peace that God himself experiences within his own nature, his own character. Let me ask you, is God ever panicky? Does God ever get anxious? Is God ever worried about anything? No. Do you believe that God's at perfect peace within his nature and his character? Yes. He will give us that peace through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. It will quit worrying and give everything to him in faith. As I've dealt with this diagnosis I had with this Parkinsonism, a lot of fear began to grip me because I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And he's given me a peace. I mean, I'm just going to keep on trucking, you know? Keep my eyes on Christ, keep on going until I can, can't do it anymore. Incredible peace that God's given me through just living with Jesus each and every single day. He's so sweet. Isn't he beautiful, our Savior? Isn't he wonderful? What will this peace do? It surpasses all understanding. It goes beyond your comprehension. It's so powerful. But some say there's a secondary application there too. There's a peace that comes in things you experience you don't understand. In other words, it's a peace that's so wonderful, it's beyond comprehension, but also you go through things you don't understand. So that you, in the midst of circumstances that defy your understanding, why is God allowing this to happen? You still find a peace that surpasses all understanding. Amen. And it'll guard. We're involved in spiritual battle. It's a military term. It'll keep or guard your hearts and minds. Heart refers to your affections, your emotions. Minds refers to your intellect, your thoughts. So you both emotionally and intellectually, this peace will protect you and guard you in the midst of the struggles of life. Isn't that a beautiful promise from God? Amen. So, let me remind what we look at. Choose to rejoice in the Lord. Choose to practice gentleness in the Lord. Choose to pray to the Lord rather than worry. Fourth, choose to focus on the good things of God, the good things of the Lord. Now look at what he says in the next verse, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whether things are true, whether things are noble, only goes pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things, focus on those things. You see what happens. We develop bad habitual patterns of thinking. I want you to hear that again. The devil's behind this, but we give in to it. We begin to develop a negativity in our thinking day by day. Whatever you say to yourself, whatever you focus on, begins to rob you of your joy and your peace, your contentment in Christ if you're not careful. There's an incorrect thinking that leads to wrong feelings and wrong behavior. Whatever gets your attention begins to get you. The Bible says a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what has to happen? We have to break that habitual negativity that grips our hearts and robs us of the peace that only Christ can give us. Is that happening to you? You wake up in the morning with negativity dominating your minds right from the start. You put your focus on the God who created you and loves you and gave you a, Christ, gave you a hope in Christ, your Savior. Have any of you ever heard of a guy named Zig Ziglar? Zig Ziglar used to talk about stinking thinking. So we need to check it from the neck up. That's an issue with a lot of us. Check it from the neck up, you know. Notice, notice some things he mentioned. Focus on things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, things that are worthy of praise. Those are things you focus on. 
Don't allow the negativity, the lies, the deceit of this world to rob you the joy and contentment that only Jesus can give you. Don't fall victim to that. St. Corinthians chapter 10 talks about seizing every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. That's a choice we make every single day. There's a battle going on for your mind, friends. Let me ask, let me remind you, the devil hates your guts. He wants to destroy you. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a murderer. Jesus, I've come to give you life and uh, life in abundance. Which choice are you going to make? Don't let him get a grip on your heart and your mind. You know, I look at it this way. Uh, Do you ever wonder where some thoughts come from when they pop in your head? You ever had some weird thoughts just jump in your head and you say, well, where'd that come from, you know? Could come from the devil, could come from your own nature, could come from thoughts and suggestions from the world around you. But it's up to you as what you do with those thoughts. Let me give you a little illustration. Think of your mind as being sort of like an airplane, uh, like an airport, with a, and your mind's a landing field. And your thoughts are like airplanes, and your will is the air traffic controller. Now, the air traffic controller gives permission where the planes are labeled to land or not, correct? So if you think of your thoughts popping in your head, you have a choice whether you're going to let those thoughts land in your head or not. You're the air traffic controller. Don't let them take over. Don't let them land in your heart and mind. You found the illustration? You know what I mean by that? It's a choice to make every day. Every day you make choices like that. And it affects your life, affects your relationships and your relationship to God. One of the things this does to me that affects my breathing, so forgive me. All right, number five. Choose to apply Christian instruction from the Lord. Look what he says in verse nine. The things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of what, what does it say? The God of peace will be with you. What's Paul saying? Paul has been the instrument of God discipling these believers in the Philippian church. He's tried to teach them through his example and through his words and his instruction. But it's one thing to learn something else, to practice what you've learned. It's one thing to learn the truth of God's word, something else to obey and do it day by day. Let me tell you something. We can be very guilty of allowing going to church, being a disciple, going to Bible studies and discipleship classes, and that becomes an end in itself. And we don't go out and live it day by day. He says the, he says the God of peace is with those who not only hear it, but they do it. They live it out faithfully every single day. Notice what he says. He says, the things that I taught you, the things you heard from me, the things I modeled for you, do those things, and then the God of peace will become real to you. How do you learn how to ride a bicycle? Riding a bicycle. How do you learn how to drive a car by driving a car? It's one thing to go to class, something else to go out and live it day by day. One thing to come to church, something else to go out and live it day by day. I remember the words of, uh, the words of uh, James. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, it's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. He observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Got up this morning, I needed to shave, my hair's all a mess. Looked in the mirror, I didn't say, okay, I'm ready to go. I realized I needed to clean up my act a little bit before I came to church today and preached to you. One thing to see yourself in the Word of God, something else to do something about it. The Word of God's like a mirror. 
real stuff's what we need to get cleaned up, what we need to do to change our lives, turn things around with his help. Too many people are practicing what I sometimes call verbalism. They know the right words, they know the doctrines, they say the right things, but they don't live it day by day, and they wonder why God's not real to them. They wonder why they're not experiencing the promises of God in their own heart. You know what I'm saying? Are you with me? I married a guy by the name of John who went to witness class, a discipleship training class to learn how to share the gospel. He'd been in numerous classes learning how to share the gospel. Never had shared the gospel, though. Kept learning how to do it, but never did it. Went on, never did it. One day he decided to take a step of faith, and he actually tried to implement what he learned. He said, wow, suddenly God became real to me for the first time in a long time. Felt the presence of God working through him and speaking through his heart when he actually lived and put it in faith, put that faith to work, and actually lived out what he'd been taught in class. God became so much real. You know, study experiencing God, that Bible study. Have any of you ever studied that here? I think you have some experiencing God. Fundamental to experiencing God is going out and living it. God becomes real to you. You don't just believe in intellectually. You actually try to attempt to live by faith and do what he tells you to do. You actually do what he tells you to do, then God becomes much more real to you, and that peace and that power begins to be a reality in your own life day by day. Got to move on. Number six. Choose to be satisfied in the Lord alone. Choose to be satisfied in Christ alone. Now there in verses 10 through 12, I won't read all of it again, but Paul, you may recall, had started this church in Philippi. He was in prison now. The Philippian church was concerned about him. They had sent a member of that church by the name of Epaphroditus to go and visit Paul while he was in prison to deliver him a gift to help minister to his needs. He sent this letter back with Epaphroditus as he returned to the church of Philippi, thanking them for their gifts, but also he wanted to assure them that though he appreciated their gifts, he's learned no matter what his status in life, he's found a contentment in Christ, no matter what he faces. He used that word there, the word contentment. Now that's actually a Greek word. He says, I've learned to be content no matter what my situation. It's a Greek word. That word means to absolutely be independent of all things and all people. It was used by the Stoic philosophers and it describes a person whose resources are within himself so that he does not have to depend on any external support. It literally means to be self-sufficient, independent of outward circumstances. Now he took that Greek word used by the Stoics and he made it a Christian word. He's not talking about being self-sufficient, but he's talking about being Christ-sufficient. Because he says in verse 13, I've learned that I be content with this. He says in verse 18, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let's say that together. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's where his contentment was. Only in Jesus Christ did he find an ultimate satisfaction to sustain him day by day. You see, friends, people are going to take our message more seriously when they see Jesus really does make a difference in how we live our lives day by day. If they don't see the difference between us and how they live their lives, they're not going to be interested in our message. How do we handle problems? How do we handle struggles? How do we handle loss of life, someone we love? How do we handle grief and sorrow and financial troubles, heartache, physical injuries? Well, how do we handle all that? Probably something unique and different about one who knows Christ versus those who don't know Jesus. We don't allow it to defeat us. We rise above it through his faith, his strength that he gives us. You know, uh, 
There's, a, of course, a famous church father by the name of Augustine who said, O Lord, thou hast created us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. I'm, gonna, I'm almost done here, but... I read recently a story of a, a lady who was involved in the occult. She was a witch. She'd been abused by a man when she was younger. She hated men. She hated Christianity. She hated especially the preachers of the gospel. One day she, out of curiosity, decided to visit a church and find out what the enemy was teaching. As she went there, she was curious and was struck by some things she saw and observed. She continued to come back out of curiosity. One Sunday, the pastor preached a powerful message on the cross. After the service, he encountered this young lady who says she was a witch crying and weeping. He asked if he could help her. She told him how she had hated him. She came to just feed her contempt for Christian preachers, how she hated men and she hated the church. But somehow his message on the cross had gripped her heart. For the first time in her life, she understood who God really was and how God showed his love for her on the cross, how God came to this earth as a man, walked among us, felt our sorrow, and identified with us in a human struggle, went to the cross, took upon himself the judgment that we deserve, rose from the dead, offers us grace and forgiveness and new life. Suddenly, her heart was transformed. She fell in love with Christ. The hatred was gone. She found a peace she'd never known before. She began to witness to other witches and started a Bible study for witches. Now she's ministering to people who are caught up in the occult, having an impact for the kingdom of God. No longer consumed by hatred, no longer gripped by the bitterness that ruled her life. She found a wonderful peace and joy that only Jesus Christ can give to those who are lost in their sin. Amen? That's the gospel, isn't it? It's the good news. It's the good news. So choose to be satisfied in Christ alone. Two more things. Now, thirdly, choose to surrender to the strength of Christ. Choose to surrender to the strength of Christ. I can do all things for Christ who gives me strength. I may have shared this story with you before. A.J. Gordon was a pastor who years and years ago, in the early 20th century, visited the old Chicago World's Fair. And he looked across the field and he saw what appeared to be a, a Chinese man dressed up in a Chinese outfit. He's pumping one of those old pitcher pumps. The water's just pouring out. He said, I don't know who that man is, but he sure is pumping the water. So out of curiosity, he got a little bit closer, and he got a little bit closer. He saw the man's hands were actually strapped to the pump handle. Their hinges in his elbows. The man was made of wood. He wasn't real. The man wasn't pumping the water. The water was pumping the man. It was an artesian well, you know. So the man wasn't real. He was a stick figure being pumped by the power of the water, the artesian well. Spiritually, we're sort of like that. Jesus said, without Christ, we can do nothing. But Jesus said that those who come to him and drink, there will be waters of flowing out of us, rivers of living water flowing out of us. Because you see, my friends, listen to me. This blows my mind. When you trust Christ as Lord and Savior, a miracle occurs. You are born again. You're born of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God literally comes to live within you. They might live, live through you and empower you. So through faith in Christ, the Spirit of Christ comes to dwell you through the Holy Spirit. It says in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith, Son of God, love me, and give yourself for me. It says Christ lives in me. Colossians 1.27 says that Christ is in you the hope of glory. So whether you're, if you've been truly saved, 
The spirit of the risen Christ literally indwells you. He might empower you to live through you in that amazing reality. Amen? I had a lady tell me one time she was struggling with addiction to, uh, uh, to uh, nicotine. She wanted to quit smoking. She tried everything she could to try to quit smoking. I said, why don't you try every time you have the urge to smoke, why don't you claim Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Later, a few months after, she said, you know that worked? She said, I don't have a desire to smoke anymore. Every time I feel that desire, I would claim that promise. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Christ who indwelled me has liberated me from this desire for nicotine. What a beautiful Savior he is. Amen. Well, one more thing I want to point out to you and then I'm done. Lastly, choose to trust in the Lord for your needs. Choose to trust in the Lord for your needs. One more verse I want you to look at. Verse 19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You see, you find a contentment when you trust God with your needs, no matter what those needs may be. You believe that? And that's what he says. My God, he's the source. He'll supply all of your needs. And I didn't say all your wants, right? All your needs. What we think we need and what God knows we need may be different. You believe that? Because you think God knows better what your needs are than you know what your needs are. You believe that? Yeah. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said, if, if a son asks his father for bread, will the father give him stone? If he asks for fish, will his father give him a serpent? No. He said, therefore, if you who are sinful know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Isn't that great? Now, let me ask you this. Do you believe that God wants what's best for you? you believe that? Yes, you believe that? Amen? you believe that God is all loving? He wants what's very best for you? Second, do you believe that God knows what's best for you? He's omniscient. He knows everything, right? you believe he knows what's best for you? Third, do you believe that God wants what's best for you? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry I already said that, didn't I? You believe that God can do what's best for you? He's all-powerful, right? Let's put that together. God wants what's best for you. He's all-loving. He knows what's best for you. He's all-knowledge. He's all-knowing. And he can do what's best for you. He's all-powerful. So what are we worried about? Let's trust him. Let's take our knees to him and trust him. He knows what's best. He's working all things together for our good. Here's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, one of them. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Here's the point. If God would go that far to give his own son to the horrible death on the cross, taking upon himself the judgment you and I deserve, if he was willing to go that far, how much more so can we be certain that God will meet all the needs that we have? What a demonstration of his great love. See, my friends, it's all of the cross. When you think about contentment and joy and peace, it goes back to the cross. I, sometimes when I get a little discouraged, I sometimes will reflect upon what God has done for me that through the cross. I mean, use your imagination right now. Will you do that? Close your eyes for a moment with me. Envision the Lord on that cross. See Jesus there with a crown of thorns crushed on his brow the spit running down his face, 
the nails driven through his hands and his feet. His body has been slashed by the terrible, terrible flogging. Hear the mockery of the crowd. Remind yourself, friends, that's God. That's God the Son on that cross. That's how far he was willing to go to save your soul. How much he loves you. How committed he is to you and your well-being. Isn't that wonderful? Say it with me. Say John 3.16 with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? So, there's a contentment that comes when Christ alone is a source of your strength, your peace, your needs. Put your eyes on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't let the world or the devil rob you of the peace that passes all understanding. The contentment that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads together. I realize that I've struggled some today. Hopefully you've been able to hear me all right. But there could be someone here today who's never given your heart to Christ, my friend. He loves you. If you'd been the only sinner, I believe Christ would have come and died for you. He paid the penalty for your sins. He arose from the dead. He's conquered the power of death and Satan and evil and sin itself. When you turn from a life without him and put your full soul trust in him as your Lord and Savior, he will save you. He'll come and live in your life and change you inside out and give you new joy and peace you never thought possible. So would you consider even right now calling upon him? The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks and if one hears the voice opens, opens the door, he'll come in. So would you right now call upon him to say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. I invite you to come into my life right now and be my Savior and be my Lord. Take control of my life. Make me the person you want me to be and take me to be with you in heaven someday when I die. In you I look for hope and peace and strength that only you can give. Take charge of my life right now, Lord Jesus. Thank you. My friend, if you prayed that prayer with genuine sincerity, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so in a moment, we're going to sing. I'm going to be standing down here at the front. If you'd like to come, let me know today that you gave your heart to Christ, even during the music or even after the service. Hope you'll come. There may 